If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a passage that details for us the third way we as believers are to respond to our salvation in this world for the glory of God. See, uh, we are on a mission right now as a church to go back to the basics and rediscover essential Christianity. As those who have been chosen by God for salvation, how do we, as the elect, live throughout the time of our exile here on earth for the glory of God? For the glory of God. This is Christianity 101. How do we live as elect exiles? As elect exiles. Because that's who we are. We aren't striving to make for ourselves a home here, we're striving to faithfully follow after and point others to Jesus until He comes to take us to our home there. We are elect exiles, those who have been chosen by God and are therefore being increasingly rejected by this world. So how do we operate as citizens of heaven here on this earth? That is what this letter of 1 Peter is all about. In this letter, Peter outlines for us six ways we as believers are to respond to our salvation for the glory of God. And the first way is that we are to express our love and our devotion to God, as we saw back in verses 13 through 19 of chapter 1, by living for God's glory. Because we've been born again by the great mercy of God and the precious blood of Jesus, we ought to live lives of reverence, righteousness, and readiness towards God. We ought to live for God's glory. The second way that we are to express our love and appreciation towards God for our salvation, as we saw in verses 22 through 25, is by loving God's people. Loving God's people. Because we've experienced the loving care and the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, we ought to respond to that by caring for each other's needs and by richly forgiving each other when we offend or sin against each other. We ought to love God's people and we ought to want to love them with the very love of God Himself, which He has poured out richly upon us in our new birth. We ought to live for God's glory. We ought to love God's people. Those are the first two ways we live for God's glory as elect exiles in this world. But that leads us to the inevitable question, how? How do we do this? See, I know I'm not alone in the fact, because I've had conversations with many of you, that the last several weeks throughout First Peter have been immensely challenging and convicting to our souls. I mean, who among us can look at verses 13 through 19 of chapter 1 and think to ourselves, nailed it, right? My hope is set fully on the return of Jesus Christ every day. My conduct is fully holy, reflecting the holiness of God nonstop. And my disposition towards God is one of full reverence all the time. I am a perfect expression of living for God's glory in this world. No one can say that. And who among us can look at verses 22 through 25, for that matter, in chapter 1, and think to themselves from that passage, well, that doesn't apply to me at all, because I'm always caring for other people's needs sacrificially to the point where it hurts, and I'm always forgiving people's sins abundantly. I don't struggle with bitterness or resentment at all, ever in my life, right? I'm a perfect expression of loving God's people. None of us can say that. None of us can. Those very verses are given in Scripture because God knows we need to grow in living for His glory and loving His people. So the question is how? How do we grow? 
How do we grow so that we might worship God more fully and love God's people more faithfully the way we ought in a way that honors and exalts Jesus Christ in this world? And even at a more fundamental level, we can just ask ourselves, how do any of us ever grow spiritually in any area of our lives? What is the path that you and I must take in order to personally grow and become more mature in our walk with God? Well, verses 1-3 through of 1 Peter chapter 2 give us that answer. This is how we're to respond as elect exiles to ourselves and personally grow for the glory of God. And what we're going to see in these verses is it all comes down to longing for the Word of God. Longing for the Word of God. That is the third response we are to have in light of our great salvation. In light of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, in light of our new birth, we are to live for God's glory, love God's people, and as we'll see today, long for God's Word. This is how we live as elect exiles in this world for the glory of God. It all begins with longing for the Word of God. So let's see that this morning in our passage today. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes down these words for us today. It says, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the Word of God who answers us when we cry to Him with our whole heart, and causes us to keep His statutes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this passage. Father, I thank You for how there is a rich feast of truth here. Father, we are embarking on a path of exile as we read in Your Word, forgetting what is behind We press forward in the upward call of Yours in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that You would press us forward in that upward call this morning. Father, we know that as we consider the need to glorify You in this world and the need to love each other for the honor of Christ, we know that there are some changes that need to happen in our hearts first before we can ever get to that point. So Father, in anticipation even of what You're going to teach us, we come beneath Your Word today. We seek to have our hearts purified by obedience to the truth for Your honor and glory. So Father, please do that today. By Your Spirit, please be working in us. Make us a people who long to hear You speak. That in You, we might find life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as I've already mentioned, the central call of these verses before us today is to long for God's Word. In fact, these verses are actually one long sentence in the Greek with the central verb being right there in verse 2, the verb long for the pure spiritual milk. That's the main idea of this passage. In light of our salvation and our new birth, we ought to long for the pure spiritual milk. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is that pure spiritual milk? Well, it's clear from the context back in verses 23 through 25 that that pure spiritual milk is the Word of God, particularly the good news of Jesus Christ and the Gospel. It is that living and abiding Word of God mentioned in verse 23. It's that Word of the Lord that remains forever. I mentioned there at the beginning of verse 25, and it's the Word that was the good news preached to you there at the end of verse 25. That is the pure spiritual milk. It is the divine strength and grace and life that can only come to us straight from the Word of God and the message of Jesus Christ. And we as believers are to long for this. We are to literally crave it. We are to crave the Word of God. Now, all of us know what it's like to crave and to long for something, don't we? For example, most of us know the intense longing of love. We know what it's like to have a consuming desire for another person's presence, to literally ache when they are not with us. And then when we're set at distance from the one that we love, whether by distance or by death, we yearn for their presence again. We long for it. So many of us know the longing of love. And many of us know the longing and the craving for food. Maybe this is more universal for us. You're sitting there thinking, that's right, we have a fellowship meal. How wonderful, right? If we've ever experienced hunger, we know what that craving feels like. There have been several times in my life when food got so low, we didn't eat from the moment we woke up until supper time. It's only happened on a few occasions, but can I tell you the craving and the longing and the desire for food that comes over you that you would have? It would literally bend you over at the waist physically until food arrives and you can finally eat. So we all know what it's like to have that aching, craving, almost pain of longing and desire for something. Well, Paul says here that we are to experience that same aching pain of longing to desire for the Word of God. In fact, it is part of our new nature. It is part of our new birth. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says that the moment that we're saved, God makes us obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching found in God's Word. In other words, we don't recoil from the Word of God. Those who have been born again actually long for it. They desire it. Romans 7, verse 22, Paul expresses uh, the affection that belongs to every true believer when he says this, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Right? You love it. You long for it. You desire it. And in fact, when Paul writes all of those things in Romans, he's actually reflecting what every believer in Jesus Christ has experienced, even as expressed in the Old Testament. Throughout the Psalms, especially in Psalms 1, verse 2, we read that the blessed man, the happy man, the redeemed man, delights in the law of God, and therefore he meditates on it day and night. He's longing for it. Psalms 112, verse 1, we're told that the man who fears the Lord, in other words, the redeemed man, greatly delights in his commandments. He finds a joy in the word of God. Psalms 119.92 states, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. There is a loving of God's word. 
True believers long for the words of God. As Psalms 119.10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So that's why I say if you've been born again, you cannot do what Spurgeon said of write the words damnation on the dust of your Bible cover, right? Because you love God's word too much. Right? If you've been born again, you can easily testify with the prophet Jeremiah. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. And then he says this, Why? For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. That's the explanation. Why do we have this longing and this love for God's word planted in us? It's because we belong to God, and we have been born again. So I know we haven't even gotten to the passage yet this morning, but I have to ask this initial question. Does your heart resound with the truths that I've just expressed to you today? Are these the expressions of your heart? Can you say this morning in all sincerity, oh, how I love your law? Or is the word of God something that you try to put as great a distance between you and it? You ought to be able to say, oh, I love your law. As you examine your life, this ought to be one of the most dominating drives and distinctive directions of your life. If you're truly born again, it is a direction and it is a drive towards the word of God. I look back on my own life and I see this. God continually brings me back to the truth of his word because I belong to him. Now, I'm not saying that that craving for God's word can't ebb and flow. That's part of sanctification. That's part of the Christian life. That's why this passage is written. But I have to ask you, before we go even further, is this deep yearning for the Word of God at present at all within you? Or can you go day after day? Can you go week after week? Can you go month after month without ever reading God's Word for yourself? Then you better be very afraid this morning. Without... Can you ever do that without being overcome by a deep craving and an insatiable longing and inward compulsion to return to God's truth? If there's not, then I encourage you this morning from the Word of God to examine yourself. For as a deer pants for streams of living water, so a true believer's soul longs for communion with God and for consuming His Word. He may drift away for a time, but he will always be drawn back by an insatiable longing and thirst. Now, for those of you who have been born again and have tested that the have tasted that the Lord is good, as Peter says here, you're probably sitting here this morning thinking, "Amen, that is true. That is my heart. I do recognize that, right? I do recognize that drive and that direction. When I get away from the word of God, I inwardly ache. It is a pain and an unrest within me that won't let me go until I return and drink deeply of the word of God again. But pastor, why? Why do I even let that happen?" Why do I always drift away like that? Why do I let myself become so spiritually starving and parched? And pastor, how? How do I keep myself from from doing that? How do I get to the point where reading the Bible is not a duty or a chore, but rather a constant craving of my heart? And in the context of our passage, how do I continue to grow so that I might live for God's glory more faithfully and love God's people more fully? Well, here in this passage, God shows us that path towards growing in our walk with God and our longing for His Word, and that path is marked by four steps. If you want to spiritually grow, particularly in living for God's glory, loving God's people, and longing for God's Word, then you must first remember your source of life. That's the first point that we're going to consider. Remember your four source of life. That's the beginning of verse 1. Second, you must repent of your sinful desires at the end of verse 1. 
Third, if you want to grow, you must recognize your supreme need. Beginning of verse 2. And then fourth, you must reignite your salvation's growth. That's at the end of verse 2 into verse 3. So this is the path that all of us, you and I, have to take if we desire to grow spiritually in any area of our lives. It is by remembering our source of life, repenting of our sinful desires, recognizing our supreme need, and reigniting our salvation's growth. So, let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1, where we're instructed to first remember your source of life. Peter begins by saying a word, so... In other words, therefore, or in conclusion. You say, well, in conclusion to what? Well, in conclusion to what we just saw back in verses 22 through 25, where we just saw that our source of supernatural life, love, and power as believers is the living and abiding and remaining forever Word of God. It is the seed that first gave us new life in Jesus Christ, and it is the source that keeps on giving us abundant life in Christ. So starting off with just the very first word of chapter 2, Peter wants us to remember our source of life. This is the very first step you and I have to remember and recall if we are going to grow spiritually. We must remember that the word is what God used to transform us at the beginning, and the word is what God continues to use to keep on transforming you from there on out. And so if you want to keep on craving God's word, if you want to keep on loving God's people, and if you want to keep on living for God's glory, then you have to keep on remembering your source of life, the word of God, the scriptures. Peter already told us three verses back in verse 23 that this is the living and abiding word of God. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 verse 16 that you hold in your hands this morning a book that is the very word of life. And as Jesus says in John 6, 63, these words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Just like the very first passage that I preached when I first came to Grace Chapel, Deuteronomy 32, 47, this is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. It is living and active, as Hebrews 4, 12 says, it is the word of God that is at work in you believers. The word of God, the scriptures are your source of life. And I want to be clear, not in some mystical or magical way, by the way, Right? We all know from Colossians 3, 1, that Christ is our life. As John 14, verse 6 says, it is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. So all of our life comes from and is found in Jesus. So if that is the case, then in what sense do I mean this morning that Scriptures is our source of life? Well, I mean that in the sense that Scripture shows us Christ, and it deepens our vital connection and relationship to Him. As Jesus himself said in John 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. In other words, the life that comes to us as believers, even through the scriptures, is the very life of Christ himself. And so when we read the scriptures, what's happening is this. When we read the scriptures, we are intentionally placing ourselves in the paths where Jesus walks, to use that expression, right? And we are seeking him, just like Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus placed themselves in Jesus' path and sought him. It's in that sense that I say that scripture is our source of life. It is the path upon which we meet with Jesus. Jesus, who is our life. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, When we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into His image from one degree of glory into another by the Lord who is the Spirit. So from cover to cover, this Word of God unveils for us the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we behold Him, we become like Him. This book is a source of life for us. And so if you want to grow, believer, 
got to start out by remembering your source of life. The very Word of God. Why do I take time on this? It's because there are so many people in churches today weighed down and wandering, wondering why they feel so lifeless and dry and spiritually barren. And all the while, they are neglecting the one thing God has given them to revive their souls. And that is the Word of God. As Psalms 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the souls. In other words, it gives life. And so this morning... If you recognize your need to grow spiritually in any area of your life, then it all starts by remembering your source of life and returning to the Word of God. So this week, choose to place yourself along the path where your Savior treads and find life in Him. As God Himself says in Proverbs 8, verses 34 through 35, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And again, Isaiah 55, verse 3, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. So if you want to grow spiritually, then it all begins here. Remember your source of life. Be more faithful in the Word of God this next week than you were in the week previous. It's one easy commitment we can all make this morning from the Word of God. The living and active Word of God is still at work in us who believe. So remember your source of life. Second, If you as an elect exile want to grow spiritually, then you must not only remember your source of life, you must second, repent of your sinful desires. And this is uh, at the end of verse 1 where Peter says this, So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. If we want to grow spiritually, then we must put all these things away. In fact, that word put away means literally to lay aside by throwing away. And it is a command that actually modifies the main verb of verse 2 to long for the pure spiritual milk. In other words, let me put it this way. The only way that you and I, the only way that any of us will ever start longing for God's Word, loving God's people, and living for God's glory is if we start treating the attitudes that are listed here in 1 Peter chapter 2 as the absolute trash that they are and throwing them all away. For there can be no brotherly love where these sins are allowed. And there can be no spiritual growth where these vices persist. And what's interesting is that among many of God's people, these very attitudes listed here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, are viewed as acceptable, allowable, and even permittable sins among the body of Christ. Is that not true? Many churches would rightly never allow unrepentant adultery or unrepentant homosexuality or unrepentant drunkenness or unrepentant physical violence to continue among their fellowship. And yet, nevertheless, too many churches allow and permit individuals to continue in the exact sinful attitudes and the devilish trash that God lists out here unrepentantly. And too many Christians permit them to continue in themselves as well, excusing them as justifiable because of their personality or their circumstances or their background or whatever. And they wonder why their spiritual growth is stunted. They wonder why their love for others is so strained. And they wonder why living for God's glory is cut off at the knees. It's because we've not thrown out the trash yet. 
the trash of these sinful attitudes. And so if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to purify our souls for a sincere brotherly love, then we need to submit ourselves this morning to the cleansing power of the Word of God and start putting the following away. First, God says that for the sake of our spiritual growth, you and I must put away all malice. Now, malice is most simply described as evil or wicked intent. In other words, to have malice in your heart is to have bitter, evil thoughts and ambitions towards another person. It's to have thoughts that are like this, right? They need to be put in their place. I'm going to bring them down. I'm going to make them pay. They need to understand how much they hurt me. Malice. Malice is a vicious anger concealed in the heart. Romans one twenty nine says this, of the unredeemed, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Mentioned twice, back to back. The unredeemed are marked by malice. The unredeemed are full of malice, full of bitterness, full of resentment, full of anger, full of evil intentions towards other people. This is the opposite attitude we as Christians are to have for one another. We're not to have concealed or harmful intent towards one another in our hearts, but rather honest, positive intent. As Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. God has not an ounce of malice towards you as His child. Why should you have an ounce of malice towards any of His? Put away all malice. Malice is satanic trash that will choke out your spiritual life. You have to throw it away. Put away all malice. Second, for the sake of our spiritual growth, God says put away all deceit. Now being deceptive means being crafty. means being scheming, being manipulative. It's operating on the basis of double meanings and ulterior motives. Deceit includes telling lies in order to gain advantage or using half-truths in order to gain influence or preserve power. And again, this is a characteristic of the unredeemed. As Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 13, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep on deceiving. The poison of asps is always under their lips. It is a characteristic of the unredeemed. And by the way, deceit is a characteristic of false teachers as well. In other words, there are people that profess the name of Christ yet are characterized by deceit. What shall we call them? We shall call them false teachers according to Scripture. Over in Romans 16, verses 17 through 18, Paul says there, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have taught. Avoid them. Notice the divisive person, the contrary person, is the person who is operating on the basis of what? Lies, not the person operating on the basis of truth. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and listen to this, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So to be always scheming, this is again, we're supposed to examine ourselves in light of Scripture, to be always scheming, 
always crafting, always being very selective and manipulative with the truth and the facts in order to gain advantage or influence over others. That is the distinguishing mark of someone who is given over to Satan and believers ought to have no pride in acting like that. It is the opposite attitude that we as Christians are to have. We are to walk in the light as He is in the light, as 1 John 1.7 says, and by open statement of the truth, we are to commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. We are not to be careful, manipulative handlers of the truth. We are to be speaking it openly. Followers of Jesus are to be honest. They are to be, they are to be simple, straightforward, and transparent with the truth with one another and with all men. Because truth is never a danger for those who are doing what is right. Put away all deceit. All of it. For deceit is satanic trash that will choke out your spiritual life. And we could take time on each one of these. Husbands, is there any deceit between you and your wife? Wives, is there any deceit between you and your husbands? Parents, is there any deceit between you and your children? Children, is there any deceit between you and your parents? Church members, is there any deceit between you and another member in this body? Put it all away, all of it. Because deceit is satanic trash and it'll choke out your spiritual life. So throw it away and walk in the light as children of the light. Walk in the truth. Put away all deceit. Third, for the sake of your own spiritual growth, put away hypocrisy. Put away hypocrisy. That is pretending something that is not true. That's hypocrisy. Pretending something that is not true putting on a show, and we can do this in a lot of ways. For example, we can pretend to be pious, humble, and loving, and yet are not. We can pretend that everything is fine. How are you today? Fine. And everything's not. <laughs> we can pretend to serve our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet are motivated every day by our own desire for power, influence, and gain. And so hypocrisy can take on many different forms on the one hand, and yet hypocrisy always looks the same on the other hand. A hypocrite, listen to this, please is always someone who never opens up. A hypocrite is always someone who never lets other people in. A hypocrite is always someone who is never revealing their true motives or thoughts. A hypocrite is someone who meets you with a face that is very different than their heart, who meets you with words that are very different than their feelings, and who meets you with a report that is very different than their reality. That is a hypocrite. That is hypocrisy. And again, it is the characteristic of the unredeemed. It was seen in the Pharisees. What did Jesus say? He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What? Hypocrites. It was seen in Ananias and Sapphira, and God judged it immediately at the beginning of the church, right? There they were. Look at us. Look at how generous we are and how loving we are and how devoted we are to the cause of Christ, while all the time their hidden bag of greed and selfishness, which they thought they had hidden so well, was crying out to God in that very moment for justice. To never open up 
to always ask your, mask your motives, to constantly pretend that you are something that you are not in order to either gain or maintain a reputation or influence. That is the opposite attitude we as Christians are to have. We have been taught by Christ himself to not be hypocrites in any way whatsoever. We must beware the leaven of hypocrisy, as Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 1. And instead, as Proverbs 11, verse 3 says, we ought to let integrity be our guide. Let integrity be your guide. This third John, verse 4, declares, our God of truth delights to see his children walking in the truth. But hypocrisy God hates with a perfect hatred. As Jesus warns in Matthew 23, verse 14, they shall receive the greater condemnation. That's why I say from God's word this morning, beloved, if you see hypocrisy in your heart this morning, flee. Flee. Throw it away. Do whatever it takes to walk in integrity and let integrity be your guide. This is so vital. I could tell you so many stories of what happens in churches and families when they neglect to put away this trash. Ask yourself this question this morning What is my heart towards God? And what are my actions towards the believers around me? Am I walking in the light by acting in honest integrity? Or am I hating the light by putting on a show of hypocrisy for something as stupid as a reputation? You know how to know what your reputation is, believer, from the Word of God? Just so you know where, how I view you. It took the death of God's own Son to save a sinner like you and like me. Let's not try to build a better reputation than that. Hear the words of Jesus Christ who said in Luke 12, 1 through 5, Beware of the leaven of hypocrisy, which, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have ever said in the dark shall be one day heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be one day proclaimed on the housetops. So I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God, not man, and do not walk in hypocrisy. Let integrity be your guide. Beware hypocrisy. Put it all away. All of it. For hypocrisy is satanic trash that will choke out your spiritual life, so throw it away. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and forth for the sake of your own spiritual growth. For the sake of your own spiritual growth, put away all envy. Envy is the jealous desire for something that another person has. It's a consuming desire not merely to possess, but even to dispossess if need be what another person has. Envy is usually accompanied by these thoughts, I will never be happy until I have what they have or until they don't have what they currently have. Then I'll be happy. That is envy. Envy, whether it be 
riches or power, respect or reputation. Envy says, I must not merely possess, I must dispossess what another person has and I will never be happy until I end up on top and they end up as low and as insignificant as I know them to be. In short, envy, as well as every other vice on this list that we're looking at this morning, is really at its heart pride. It's the worship of ourselves. This person is stealing a spotlight from me and how wonderful I am. So if I have to get what they have or if I have to take away what they have so that I can get the spotlight on me, it's worth it. That's envy. This is, by the way, the characteristic of unbelievers. This is wicked King Ahab with Naboth's vineyard. If you remember the story from 1 Kings chapter 21, he had hundreds of vineyards, but he had to have Naboth's. Even if that meant slandering, which is a sin that Peter's going to mention next, or even slaughtering him. That is the opposite attitude we as Christians are to have. If you remember, envy nearly split up the apostles. Those that Jesus personally discipled for over three and a half years. In Mark 10, James and John started jockeying for positions of power and influence in the kingdom, and pretty soon all 12 apostles, if you remember, were at each other's throats because they weren't getting the attention and the honor that they thought they deserved. And in Mark 42, or verse 42 of Mark 10, we're told this, Jesus called, to him, called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, Jesus was saying, Have you noticed that it's unbelievers who envy positions of power and influence and authority? It is unbelievers who crave for them. It is unbelievers who fight for them. It is unbelievers who throw a fit if they don't have them. Just like the disciples were doing. And then Jesus says this, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, that's the attitude that we are to have. Not envy, because we're not put high enough, but humility, because we could never be put low enough. That's the attitude we as believers are to have. In fact, have you ever thought about this? You and I will never be put lower than our Savior was put. And our Savior is greater than all. And so when we see Him, who is above all, being put below all in taking on our sin, the lowest place we could ever occupy in this life is still a grand exaltation over what we in fact deserve. See, envy is satanic trash that will choke out your spiritual life. So throw it all away. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy. And finally, fifth, for the sake of your spiritual growth, Put away all slander. Slander means to speak against or to speak evil of. Or as someone put it once, slander to slander someone is to harm others by whispering or to spoil another person's true honor by false or unconfirmed evil words. To put it another way, to slander is to maliciously misrepresent and defame another person's character or motives. And again, this is a characteristic of the unredeemed. Peter uses this very word later in chapter in verse 12 when he says of the Gentiles that they will speak against you as evildoers. And again in chapter 3, verse 16, when he says that the unredeemed will slander you and revile your good behavior. In other words, they slander. They maliciously misrepresent and defame the character of others. This is the settled state of those who are apart from Christ. That is the opposite attitude we as Christians are to have towards one another. We are not to have anything to do with slander. That's why Exodus 23, verse 1 says this, you shall not spread a false report. That's why we're told in Psalms 34, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
And that's why we're told in James 4, verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, for in so doing, you speak directly against the law. Spurgeon often has so many good quotes. This is one about slander. Spurgeon once wrote, It is an ill bird that fowls its own nest, and it is an ill believer who tells tales about its fellow Christians. If you as a church member have anything against a brother, you go and tell him alone. Then, if it should be some public or crying sin, you go and tell it in an orderly manner to the church officers. But for you to go about slandering is such an offense against church order that if you are expelled from church communion because of it, the ejectment of membership will be justifiable. You cannot certainly expect to have fellowship with Christ if you are currently marring the fellowship of Christ's church by speaking against one another. That's pretty clear. We're not to have anything to do with slander. And as followers of Christ, we're not to have anything to do with slanderers either. And this is why Proverbs 20, verse 19 says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. For a man who lives by lies spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight. In other words, a slanderer is not encouraging sincere love for the brethren. They're actually working at trying to separate brothers from each other by all their lies and all their deceptions and all their falsehoods. That is serious business. That's why God says in Psalms 101, verse 5, whoever slanders his brother secretly, I will destroy. Are you getting a sense this morning that I have dealt with many church members' sins in my 10 years as a pastor? It is these that I have seen have wrecked the most havoc in churches and in people's souls. We have our cultural sins we like to harp on. And then we have our respectable sins we don't want our pastor to talk about. This is serious business. As God says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. And so, let me give you some counsel about this. If you suddenly discover in the middle of a conversation that you're needing to talk really quietly, right? Or you're needing to guarantee that certain information isn't passed on to other people. Or if you're needing to check that a certain person is not within hearing range of about what you're about to say, those are red flags that ought to go up in your mind. Or if you're starting to use speculative phrases like this, I bet it was this person. Right? You know, I wouldn't know, but I'm pretty sure it's probably slander. You might want to stop because we're not to have anything to do with slanders or slandering. It's satanic trash that chokes out believers' spiritual life. We need to throw it away. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. This is the trash that used to be and belongs to our unredeemed life that God tells us we need to throw away if we're going to keep on growing spiritually in Christ Jesus. I have met Christians who have known the Lord for five decades and have not progressed at all because they would not throw out the trash. 
After looking at each one of these vices one by one, God makes it abundantly clear that these are not respectable sins to be tolerated or permitted at all among believers. They are satanic, demonic assaults against the ministry of the Word of God, against the unity of God's people, and against the mission of God's glory in this world. They are as antithetical to following Jesus Christ as righteousness is with lawlessness or light is with darkness. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander are straight from the pit of hell and straight from the heart of Satan. And those who persistently engage in these practices unrepentantly do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ any more than Satan does. Why am I being so harsh? Because all of these sins are held in secret. I don't know who's harboring any of these right now. All I can do is preach the Word of God as it is delivered and pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning. These attitudes are straight from Satan's heart. If you doubt this, I want you to just picture in your mind this morning Satan slithering towards that tree in Genesis chapter 3. What's in Satan's heart? He's acting friendly, but he's filled with all malice. He's acting truthful when he talks to Eve, but he's filled with all deceit. Half-truths used all the time. He's acting concerned and loving. Is God really doing what's best for you? But he's filled with all hypocrisy. He's acting like a servant that is seeking Eve's best interests, but he's filled with all envy. And he's acting like a spokesperson for truth, but he is filled with all slander towards God and towards all humanity. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all of this was in his heart. And Peter writes these words to us this morning to ask the question, what's in yours? If you're here this morning, and you recognize this is the condition of your heart, and I'm not saying that you struggle with it, but you sit there and say, this is where I live I literally rage against the world on the basis of these attitudes. And I call on you. I call on you this morning to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus Christ who shed His own blood for the forgiveness of your sins and for the imparting of a brand new life. You do not have to live with these attitudes anymore. You don't have to be bound to bitterness, bound to slander, bound to hypocrisy. You can be free in Christ Jesus. Confess your sin to the Lord. Call on Him to give you a new heart and He will save you. Humble yourself beneath the purifying teaching of God's Word and be made new. By the power of Jesus Christ. And then if you are a believer and you say, you know what? It's true, it's not all my life, but it's still far too much a characteristic of it. I'd encourage you this morning to run to the forgiveness that has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. He has paid it all. And when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's grow Let's grow, Grace Chapel. I say this to myself. As much as to you, let's grow. 
because these are not respectable sins to be excused or overlooked. They're characteristics of Satan. They're characteristics of the unsaved world, but they are not characteristics of believers. So I want you to consider, which of these sins do you need to repent of this morning? As I finish with prayer, as we do the closing song, how about you confess that to the Lord? And uh, if there's a decision that you need to make, I'm going to be in the back, and the other elders are going to be available. And we would love to talk to you and help you in any way we can towards helping you remember your source of life and repent of your sinful desires. The ministry of God's word, the unity of God's people, and the missions of God's glory in this place all depend on this. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Remember your source of life and repent of your sinful desires. We'll have to look at the final two points next week, but for now, this is enough. This is the word of God from 1 Peter 2, verse 1, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until our Lord and Savior returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to be to yourself, that you have made us elect exiles, chosen by you and yet rejected by the world, that you have given us new life in Christ But Father, we have so much growth that needs to happen. So much of our hearts that need to change. So Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to throw away this trash. Help us not to endure it in our own lives. Help us to confess every one of these impulses. Help us to walk in integrity and beneath obedience to the truth that our hearts might be purified for the love of the brethren, for the salvation of the lost, for the glory of your great name who has caused us to be born again to this living hope. Give us grace, Father, to respond rightly to ourselves as elect exiles. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.